Hi, everybody. My name is Carl, and I'm an alcoholic. And I would like to thank Brett and the committee for uh, asking me to speak. I can tell you that uh, after they chose me to speak, they decided not to raise the uh, price of the registration. Um, And I see this morning that, uh, oh, I guess I'm supposed to start with my sobriety date. My sobriety date is uh, Halloween of 1981. And uh, and that is uh, due to the grace of God in in uh, this program of Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I notice that we uh, we do not have a signer this morning. That's a good thing. There's some things that don't look good in sign. Uh, and I never really know entirely what I'm going to say. I'm I'm operating at a. Uh, uh, a bit of a, um, I have a, well, I, I have a lie detector here. My some members of my home group are here, so uh, they've uh, they're going to tell you when I'm lying, you know. And my, I believe my sponsors out there. I have sponsees out there, some folks that know me. So I'm probably uh, I'm probably going to have to uh, stick to the truth. But uh, so we'll try them out here. Uh, I uh, I didn't really tell anybody that I was speaking. And, uh, okay, that's a lie. And, uh, no, yeah, and I, uh, I guess actually, well, I didn't tell many, well, yeah, okay, I circled my name on the flyer and before I passed it out. But, uh, yeah, I have this thing. But I, I, uh, I hope everyone's really uh, having a good time here at the uh, convention. And uh, what I'd like to do, I'd like to have some fun this morning. I'd like to start off with uh, my favorite uh, AA, uh, what could be an urban legend, it might be the truth, I have no idea, but uh, essentially it goes like this, and that is that a, um, a sponsee and a sponsor were going through the steps, and so the, uh, the sponsee says to a sponsor, well, what about sex? And the sponsor said, well, Real easy. Go to the, the top of page 69. Well, all sponsees are dyslexic, so he went to the top of page 96. And here's what he read. Do not be discouraged if your prospect does not respond at once. Search out another alcoholic and try again. You are sure to find someone desperate enough to accept with eagerness what you offer. Or, 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 is it, or, or as an old-timer once said, he says, you know, if you're new to Alcoholics Anonymous and you're sitting there looking at someone across the room of the opposite sex and you're thinking the odds are good, well, you're bound to find out where the goods are odd. <laughs> okay, that's a comedy portion of it. Uh, I... Uh, I was a late bloomer. Uh, I was raised in a loving family. Uh, my mother and father uh, drank, but they neither one of them drank to excess. My father liked to have a beer after he played golf, and and uh, and I probably would have taken up drinking earlier in my life, except for one thing. When I got to high school, is uh, I was preparing to. Uh, 
they had to give me a bunch of shots, and I, I, I was just terrified of shots. I just and uh, I did this weird thing. I'd pass out, and and uh, so they, this doctor told me uh, I had to get all these shots before I could go to high school, and and uh, so I. He said, but if you lay down, you know, it'll be okay. You probably won't pass out if that happens. So I, I did that, and, and uh, I walked out into the waiting room, and uh, I, I passed out and went into convulsions. And so uh, they took me to a, a medical center, and they did a... Uh, I know. Thank you, Dave. Uh, they did an electroencephalogram that they attached all these electrodes to my head. And, and uh, so I, I uh, that night, my mother took me into the kitchen and says, we need to talk. Says, there's uh, something you got to know. Um, and uh, I said, okay. So we're sitting there, and she says, you have epilepsy. And... Uh, like I said, alcoholics, you know, short attention span, ADD, and certainly this one. And uh, it really distressed me because what I thought she said was that I had leprosy. Uh, but, I, but I had to take this medication, uh, and, and I was told then that I would not be able to drink on this medication. I, I really hadn't drank before, and that was not a problem. And, and so... Uh, then uh, one of the, I, uh, as I got older, I applied for a driver's license, and I just, you know, and it had all these diseases and things, you know, do you have this? And I checked epilepsy, and they said, no driver's license for you. So uh, essentially uh, what happened is I, I, my father, he never really believed I had it, and he sent me to this fella, and this fella says, uh, this uh, neurologist, and they did a bunch of tests, and, and uh, essentially found out that I did not have epilepsy. And so, so I had my first drink in my uh, in my senior year in uh, high school, and um, we went to a party. We had some relatives in St. Louis that had done quite well, and and uh, they had like 200 people over their house every year for Christmas, and and they had a place down south and made their own wine and all this stuff. And my grandmother said, "Well." Let's let Carl have a glass of wine. I think Carl should have a glass of wine. And so uh, I, uh, so I drank that wine, and, and, uh, and that wine tasted like three things to me. It tasted like more. It tasted like more now. And it tasted like me. It's finally all about me. And so I asked my brother... Uh, who was five years younger, I said, well, I want you to go in there and, uh, and put some of that other hard liquor in the wine because I knew that this, as much as it was doing, it wasn't doing enough. But what it was doing was, was something that I, I, just, I just wanted to, you know, to, to increase the effect of that. And so he, uh, he did that, and, and I got uh, uh, quite drunk that night and went home and... Uh, and my mother had to leave, and she, uh, so she was gone, and, and I was left home drunk with my brother, and, and, uh, and I ran out onto the front porch in my underwear, and I screamed out into the neighborhood, Merry Blanking Christmas to everybody. And my, uh, and my brother looked at me, and what, him, what he saw made him start crying. 
And that's kind of a, an important benchmark in, in my story. And, and after that, it was just, it was off to the races. I mean, it was get as much alcohol, any kind of alcohol, wherever I could get it. We tried everything from, from uh, robbing my mother's liquor cabinet to, to these little bottles of tips they had, which were 60% alcohol. We'd try to, any, any way we could to, to, to uh, get alcohol, we did that. And, and then I, uh, after I graduated from uh, high school, I, uh, I went down to, uh, to Amarillo, Texas to live with my father and uh, go and start a uh, junior college. And my, uh, uh, my stepmother made the next recommendation, which was, uh, well, why don't, you, why don't you join one of those fraternities? Why don't you try to join one of those fraternities? And so, uh, and so I... I, uh, I did that, and uh, in fraternities back in the in the '60s, I can tell you, were not about uh, learning how to study, and they were not, le- you know, learning the the Greek language. Although they used Greek letters and all of that stuff, it wasn't about that. It was about drinking, and everything was centered around drinking. And as much as all of that was centered around drinking, they they decided that I drank too much. Uh, and they didn't want me in their fraternities, and I could tell you some some awfully wild stories. And uh, and then towards the end of that, I uh, in one week I had uh, I had wrecked my car, and uh, my girlfriend broke up with me, and they uh, kicked me out of college. Because one of the things they said in college is one of the one of the teachers said. I don't even care if you come to class. And I thought, great, you know, <laughs> that's okay with me. And so I didn't go to many. And uh, and so uh, I was I was asked uh, to uh, leave the college. And so I thought, well, what the heck, you know? So I uh, I went down, decided to join the Navy. And I'm back up a little bit. Um, I uh, being a typical alcoholic, I never wanted to be me. I wanted to be someone else. I wanted to be James Bond. Uh, I, I had just this, I, I just, more than anything in the world, I want to be James Bond or be like James Bond. I want to drink like James Bond. I want to get to girls like James Bond. I want to, you know, I just, I wanted to be James Bond. Uh, and much to the chagrin of my, my, uh, my date at the senior prom, I insisted taking a briefcase uh, to the... Uh, <laughs> And uh, so I, uh, so I, I went into, I signed up in the Navy and because uh, I wanted to go into UDT. And that's what they call the SEAL team now. But I wanted to go into UDT. UDT said, stood for Underwater Demolition Team. And, uh, and, and so I signed up, and, and he says, well, we've got all these schools. You know, you can go to this school or this school. Uh, when I was in boot camp, they, they have this thing called classification. You take these tests to see what you're good at. And, and he says, well, you can, you know, you, could, you, you qualify for this school. I said, I won't go into UDT. He says, well, that, that's not really a, a, a job classification. You know, you, you have to do something. You have to have some occupation in the Navy. I said, well, no, I want to go into UDT. So, I, fine. You know, so they sent me, they, they gave me a general job classification, and they sent me to Midway Island to clean barracks for six months, which was my first enlist. And all we had to do there was, was drink beer and look at Goonie Birds. That was, uh, 
that was it. I mean, and and uh, and there and it was just drinking every night. That was okay with me. And three two beer. There was a rumor, and I don't know if it's ever true or not. But they said they had formaldehyde in it, in the in the beer to preserve it. And I don't know if they did or not. Certainly, I I felt like I had embalmed myself several times. <laughs> but uh, I uh, so so from Midway Island went to to a uh, I stood there six months and went to a ship and my and 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 I just kept going further and further and further down. Now I can tell you, in the '60s, the Navy was a pretty good place for a drunk to hide out. Um, it really was. They didn't. I think the treatment centers didn't start until like the uh, until the to the early seventies. But I mean, it was uh, it was drink all you can, fast you can. Liquor was cheap, and uh, so I uh, and that's what I did. I mean, the Navy always afforded me an opportunity. To, and before I was twenty one, there was Tijuana, real close to to San Diego, so no drinking age there. So so moving ahead, I. Uh, I uh, was I, when I, you know, when I got to my fourth step, uh, my Navy career—they're about ready to throw me out at one time. But when I got to my fourth step, I, I told my sponsor, I said, "You know, do I really have to write this stuff down? Because you know what? I've got this naval service record. A lot of this stuff's already documented. <laughs> you know, I mean." I'd been to captain's mass, what they call non-judicial punishment, and uh, been in trouble. I. Uh, I got drunk one night and tried to, and I swam over to another ship in in uh, San Diego, and planted a box that on, on another ship that said you've been blown up courtesy of uh, uh, Fort Fisher LSD 40, and then I bragged about it the next day, and uh, and and I was and I, I didn't take it serious. I just thought let it rip, let it rip, you know, and. Uh, and, and when I went in, they have a uh, a thing you go to, where you are you go to this the legal officer, and he reviews your case and decides you know whether you're not you're going to go to captain's mass. Well, the the oil shack where I worked was just a few doors down, and some kid came in and he had swim fins and goggles. So for him to review my case, I walked into his office with swim fins and goggles. This is how serious I take going to captain's mass, you know. So. But uh, it was just insane, and it was it was, and a lot of it was all about me. And I'll tell you what, you know, I, I I used to think early on in sobriety, I used to think, boy, I had a good time when I was drinking. I I really did, man. I had some good times. And then I realized after a while that those good times were often at the expense of others, you know. And then it was all about me. And some of those times really weren't weren't that great. And when I and I and I thought, oh my God! When I got to Alcoholics Anonymous, I thought, this fun's going to end. So, uh, and of course, that's I was lying to myself and, and didn't even know it at the time. But so I I, uh, I got in 1974 the uh, the Navy uh, decided in their infinite wisdom. That I could ship over, so they gave me uh, uh, a check for ten thousand dollars to re-enlist, and I took that check, and to, to kind of tell you where I was at at that time, I took that check and I got in a taxi cab and I went to a Porsche dealership and I and I essentially signed over that check to the uh, 
to the Porsche dealer and got me a 914 Porsche. And I'm thinking, you know what? This is the nicest thing I've ever had in my life. I'm going to have to take care of this. And I know I probably shouldn't drink and drive. That's, that's going to be my rule. I'm not going to drink and drive in this car. Not going to happen. And nine days later, I was involved in, a, in, a, in an accident that was so violent it knocked the wheels off the car. And fortunately, fortunately, no one was seriously hurt. I mean, it was, I, I, was, I was living on, on God's grace. I really was. And... Uh, and six months later, I met the the uh, a lady I was uh, who I was <laughs> my first wife. I was blind drunk. I met her at a uh, at a carnival, and uh, <laughs> yeah, and 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 I didn't even remember what she looked like, <laughs> but I but I wanted. I wanted to meet her again. <laughs> and so, you know, three months later, we were married. And, and uh, I, uh, and it was, you know, I mean, the, the, I remember one night she brought home a, a when we, when we first got together, she brought home Bob and said, I got a present for you. And she said, I got uh, uh, this, this quart of vodka, you know. The next morning, she says, you weren't supposed to drink the whole thing. You know, I mean, uh, but that's the only way I knew how to drink. You know, I just, it was just let it rip. I, it seemed like I always sought oblivion when I drank, you know. People talk often about that, that magic plateau that you got to maybe your first time you got drunk or something it was just it was like always a hundred miles an hour going past it and uh i uh i'm probably very lucky i have i had a lot of uh a lot of uh guardian angels in my drinking career i did a lot of people saved my life and here's what they did to save my life they just turned my chin so I did not, to the side, so I didn't aspirate on my own vomit. That's what they did. And I didn't even know. I, was, I, was, I would drink myself that helpless. I was a blackout drinker. I, uh, I woke up one time in a, uh, in a uh, blackout on the, on the streets of Hong Kong at 7 o'clock in the morning, encircled by uh, a bunch of pissed-off Australians. Uh, I'd, I'd made some mention about their country and kangaroos and <laughs> their possible heritage. Um, um, and, uh, but none of that stuff bothered me. It just, I mean, till the very end, none of that stuff bothered me. So I, I, I'd married this lady, and, and one night... In the, uh, in the thralls of passion, I decided, uh, I told her that I would like for her to get pregnant. And so the next day, she said, did you really mean that? And I'm a liar and cheat when I'm drinking. And I said, yeah, I meant it. And so we did. We, she got pregnant. And, uh, and I knew it was a lie. And so I went overseas and... Uh, 
on a cruise, and my daughter was born when I was six months. I was, uh, I was, uh, when, well, she was born when I was overseas. And I, I didn't see her till she was uh, six months old. But uh, so I'd made this bet with my wife. I said, well, if it's a boy, then I'll take you out to any restaurant, you know, get every, whatever you want. But if it's a girl, then I'd like, uh, you know, a meatloaf and uh, cook me a meatloaf, love meatloaf. And uh, she said, okay. So I uh, was in the Philippines. We were there in port, and I, you know, had horrible bout that, that night before, and, was, and uh, I, I laid there in my bunk, and my division officer came, and I just, just roaring headache, and, and uh, I, uh, he, he shook me, and I'd roll over, and, and uh, he handed me a piece of paper. And the piece of paper talked about talked about the birth of my daughter and said, your meatloaf's in the oven. And I just dropped that piece of paper on the floor. That's how much I cared about anybody. And uh, I went out that night drinking, and I got home from overseas, and here's this baby. And I really didn't want anything to do with that baby. I didn't love that baby. I didn't. I, I never wanted that baby, but uh, but you know what? God God does kind of operate in mysterious ways. And uh, when she was when she, I'll, I'll never forget the time that I fell in love with her. Um. When I fell in love with my daughter, she was one year old. It was her birthday, and she was walking in the front door of the apartment, and and my heart fell out of my chest at that moment. And uh, we need batteries. You're gonna have to speak up. And I, uh, and I, and I fell in love with her, and I I gave my heart over to this child. But I had not stopped drinking. But the Navy had always provided me uh, 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 an opportunity to leave town, and I uh, and so I I was still drinking, and it was uh, it, it was getting worse, and it was getting worse. And so, essentially, what happened was this: I'd made this promise that this was one promise. This was the promise. This was the line I would never cross. My daughter will never see me drunk. That ain't going to happen. In Halloween, 1981, we went over to a neighbor's for a Halloween party. And uh, I took a bottle of scotch over there, and I, I, was, I got, went through that you know, really quick, and then started getting into other folks' alcohol. And I woke up the next morning, and I was in their, uh, in their guest room, and the situation was not that different. The situation, I, I had just thrown up all over everything. It was a horror story, and I felt like someone had, had, had driven a railroad spike through one of my temples, and uh, I got up, and uh, I, uh, I walked home. And uh, and I walked through the house, and I and I sat on the uh, 
my my the uh, back porch. And my daughter, she was uh, she was five, fixing turn six, and she walked out on the back porch, and she looked at me, and what she looked at made her start crying. And I knew in that instant that I was a slave to alcohol. There was no promise I could ever keep. None. None whatsoever. Okay. And uh, so I went to the bedroom and I just, I sat on the edge of the bed and I just started crying, big old crocodile tears, shoulders were heaving and and I didn't know what I was going to do. And so uh, my wife said, well, maybe you ought to try Alcoholics Anonymous. They uh, she'd watched some program called Knott's Landing. <laughs> so, so it's not just wearing winds that gets, get us here, you know, so... Some fellow on that went to Alcoholics Anonymous, so maybe I should. And I walked into my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and I had no idea, no idea what what was going to happen, what they were going to do. Maybe some psychodrama, uh, something. And uh, so I walked in, and and not really hearing anything, not knowing what's going on, and. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe somebody will come over. I stood there for a minute, and I, and I thought, well, somebody will come over here and, and, and talk to me or do something or tell me what's going on. And, and so what happened was two elderly ladies walked over and said, uh, hey, bub, could you help set up some tables? You know. And so, uh, so I did that. And, and uh, so they had this young girl. She was probably early 20s, and she read How It Works, and I thought, wow, she can really write, you know. Uh, 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 man, that's pretty good. You know? Journalism student, probably. And I didn't, you know, and, but, but a very important thing happened after my first Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. Here's what happened. Someone walked up to me after the meeting, and he's, his name was Steve, and Steve said, Carl, and he took me over to the literature table and says, looky here, Carl, says, here's a where and when. This isn't the only Alcoholics Anonymous meeting in San Diego. You know, we got them all over. We got them every day of the week, every time of the day, and you need this. And he put this where and when in my hand. And, he, and the other thing he said is, Carl, this is a big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. You really need to get one of these. You're going to hear a lot of things said in Alcoholics Anonymous meetings, but this is a text. This is the core of Alcoholics Anonymous right here, and you need this. And so shortly after that, I asked Steve to be my sponsor, and Steve said, okay, I have a condition. I said, what's that? He said, you must read the first 164 pages. He says, you don't have to do it all at once. You can do it, you know, a little at a time. And so I was going to meetings, and I was, and, and you know, and I was, and they, they were, the meetings were the same as other meetings. They read How It Works. But I do, I, you know, how it works, how it works. Then, you know, get to the good part. Let's, let's share. Carl share. You know. <laughs> and uh, 
So I want to listen to how it works. Well, when I when I got to chapter five and read how it works, I called up Steve and said, "Steve, this these twelve steps, this this isn't going to happen. This step five, this step nine, I can't do that." And and Steve Steve Carl is one syllable, and and he would make it two. Carl roll. Let's look at the step with the one in front of it. <laughs> and, that's, and that's how my, my journey through the steps began. But unfortunately, unfortunately, Steve was going through a divorce, and he started going to other meetings. And, and, uh, I, and so I quit going to so many meetings, and I quit regulating which meetings I went to with the where and when and I started regulating which meetings I went to with a TV guide. Hill Street Blues? No, I ain't going to that meeting. You know, Taxi? No, I ain't going to that meeting. And, uh, and it got bad. And it got worse. And I was miserable. And I was... And so... A very important thing happened. Someone saved my life in Alcoholics Anonymous. And here's how they saved my life. They told me the truth. They told me the truth. You know, it it says, and I've never been a, a, a person who, who feels like it, it ever does any good whatsoever to berate another alcoholic. And surely enough, you know, it, it, it tells us in the big book that never talk down to an alcoholic from any moral or spiritual hilltop. Simply lay out the kit of spiritual tools for his inspection. Show him how they work for you. Offer him friendship and fellowship. Tell him that if he wants to get well, you will do anything to help. So here's what happened. I, I told the, fr- the fellow who was going to become my next sponsor, Don, I said, Don, I've gotten, I, I got sober with some of these folks. I've been, in, I've, you know, I've been here for eight months now, and, and, uh, and it, it, it's getting better for these people. They're getting better. When's it going to get better for me? Don said, Carl, I've heard you share and gotten to know you. I've got some bad news. It's not going to get any better for you. Carl, I have every reason to believe that you're going to drink. Unless you start working these steps. Unless you start getting you a sponsor. Unless you get you a sponsor, you start working these steps, you commit to a group. You know? You start putting back. And so Don and I started working the steps together and... Uh, and I'd like to tell you that it was that it was, you know, a breeze that I went through them. And but I resisted the steps. You know, an interesting thing. One of the things that that I've read through all of the stories in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous is that most of the folks make direct reference of how they have struggled with that third step. And uh, and I was very touched with uh, Tracy's talk last night. And give her another hand for. And I, uh, 
And like, and so I, you know, the first step, okay. Second step, uh, as my as my friend Katie says, it wasn't came to believe at first. At first, it was came to suspect. <laughs> Some of these people are getting better, and you know they're leading leading decent lives and walking with uh, with dignity and sanity in their life, and. Uh, so then I came to believe, I came to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity. And, and, and so then I hit the, the, you know, I was raised in the Baptist church in, uh, in Amarillo, Texas. And, uh, and the, only, the only fabric they had back then that wouldn't really wrinkle a lot was wool. So I wore wool pants and I had to go to Sunday school and church every Sunday and I wore these wool pants. There was one thing on this mind when I was in Sunday school in church, and that was get home, get the pants off. You know, get those wool pants off. And surely enough, any time in Alcoholics Anonymous, when someone started talking about God, my legs started itching. <laughs> I was one of the first cases of uh, restless leg syndrome. <laughs> Wanted to go running out of the meeting, but, uh, but I finally, I finally got to a point, you know, I, I, uh, and I'd walked away from the church uh, many years before, and, uh, I, uh, I remember an old Cheech and Chong routine that went, uh, uh, a fellow standing on street corners handing out literature says, I used to be all messed up on drugs, now I'm all messed up on God, and, uh, and I was afraid, I was terrified, I was going to be all messed up on God. If I just, if that, I, I couldn't button my top collar and pass out religious literature and just, oh my God, that's a nerd. Oh, don't do that to me. I can't do that. That's not going to happen. That's it. Until I realized that I couldn't go any further. I, I, I can't go on being the person I am. I can't do this. It's, it's not working. And so I agreed to believe in something and you know what it was. I saw it in all of you. I agreed to believe in that, and things began to change. And and so, uh, and and then I resisted the fourth step. I put it off, put it off, put it off. Why are you going to do the fourth step if you were never going to do the fifth? <laughs> so, but something happened. All of the, by working the steps, one by one, they just kind of enable us to, you know, to go forward. And, and what happened was, and I think this is a gift of, of, of God, as I understand him, and that is he, God put someone on the other side of a table in a, in, a, in, a, in a big boy restaurant in Poway, California, across from me, and I knew after this fellow had shared with me that I had somebody I could do my fifth step with. So I might as well get started on the fourth. And so, uh, but although, uh, to talk about my, 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 my mindset at that time was I thought, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I ever going to get through this? So I, I put it off long enough. The first line in my fourth step was, I don't know if this is a fourth step in Alcoholics Anonymous or a suicide note. <laughs> and I can tell you, you don't have to wait that long to do your fourth step. And so I... I after I did my fourth, I couldn't wait to do my fifth, really. It's like, let's do this. And 
I recently heard someone share in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting that, that there's really no time frame for working the steps. But I, I had a pretty savvy sponsor because he kind of, he knows about that, he, he knew about that sixth step. And he knew about Carl, he knew about Carl's ego. Because after I did my, it says in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, after about an hour, you know, we, exert, we examine these first five propositions. We're going to build this arch, walk through a free man. He knew about this. And that's what he had me do. And that was good. That was good for Carl, and I'll tell you why. Because at that point, after my fifth step, Carl's ego was smashed. And I was prime. And I was ready. You know, I look at that, that six-step of Alcoholics Anonymous. We're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. And I almost think sometimes, should that have a question mark after it? You know, is this, has, are we? Are we ready? And, and, and the book tells us about making that examination of the first five steps and how we work them. And I think, too, of the, of the sixth step is, is, uh, is, a, is a, an important checkpoint in the steps. I think of those rides they have at Disneyland, you know, that they have those, those characters. You have to be this high to go on this ride, you know. You have to, you have, to have worked the first five steps appropriately to move on. And so we looked at that. And I asked God remove my defects of character and and I am like so many others you know that eight step you know took that that four step and made that eight step and it's you know that one we can't do that one amend we absolutely can't do and I had one it was a big one my uh, brother-in-law wanted me to get into uh, an insurance scam with him and he was going to blackmail me uh, to my uh, to my Wife is to something I had done overseas, and uh, and I hated him. And I told him I, if I ever saw him again, I'd kill him. And and they and they lived three blocks away. And 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 here's and here's and here's my part. Here's my part. Before that, my wife and 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 his wife, who were sisters, and our children used to get together for birthdays and Thanksgiving and Christmas and all those those wonderful occasions and because of Carl we didn't do that anymore no no, they're not coming to this house and I'm not going to theirs and because of the blackness in my heart you know I used to think a long time ago you can take a resentment compartmentalize it over here and it'll never affect the the rest of your, your life your sobriety that's not true it's like cancer it's a cancer a resentment is a cancer it, it just it, it it invades every part of your life, your serenity, you know, your relationships. And that one did. And I remember sitting in meetings saying, yeah, you don't have an issue with anybody except this, you know, brother-in-law and what he did. I mean, I, you know, I mean, and I, and I would justify it, justify it, justify it. And people would sit there calmly and probably rolling their eyes. And... Uh, and finally, I, I, I said in a meeting, you know, but if I saw that guy, if I saw him, if I saw him on the highway, and he'd been in a car wreck, and he's hurt, I'd stop and help me, help him. And Don told me the truth <laughs> in a meeting. He said, "No, you wouldn't." <laughs> I knew he's right. I knew he's right. And so, like I said, they lived three blocks away, 
I needed to make this amends. I needed to go over and clean up my part. And so it took me 20 minutes to drive over there, three blocks, because I was shivering like a chihuahua trying to pass a peach seed. You want to talk about fear? You know, I, I've been in hurricanes, in, in the, when I was in the Navy, hurricanes in the North China Sea. You know, when, when it was bad. It was bad. And, you know, wondering if this ship's going to make it through. Not really, not really that afraid. Not really afraid. But at that moment, standing in that man's driveway, as I was making amends to him, I was terrified. That's fear. That's the fear they talk about in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I was afraid. And I got a little less afraid. And I got a little less afraid. And I got a little less afraid as that stuff just poured, poured off of me. And, uh, and it was great. And then our families could be together again. His part didn't matter. Did not matter. It was my part. My part. And so... I guess I didn't, we often hear that, you know, it's about sponsoring someone into, into service. I'll skip ahead because we're getting close here. Sponsoring, it's important to sponsor someone in service, and I agree with that. But I will tell you this, if you haven't been in, in, in service, uh, you haven't been to Disneyland yet. You really haven't. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible. And it's done so much for me. I when I when I volunteered for the uh, for the Missouri State Convention Committee, I I have made and have lifelong friends, you know, from from uh, all over the state of Missouri. You know, I call them and I see them and they and they uh, they make me smile and I and I just love them to death, you know. I love all of you. Uh, as a result of this program, some wonderful things have happened in my life. I told you they're about ready to throw me out of the Navy. In 1991, I retired from the United States Navy as a Master Chief Petty Officer. I, they sent me, to, I, I, uh, I, after I got out of the Navy, I went to college, and, I, uh, and, and, I, and Alcoholics Anonymous told me what to do when I went to college. Spill water. Um, I, I, uh, I read what they gave me. I did what they told me. And I'm no smarter than any person in this room, and I graduated with honors. Just by doing the deal. Just by doing what they said. Just following these simple instructions. And, uh, and I guess some really wonderful things. You know, I, one event I want to talk about is... is, is Don, my, my, this, my sponsor who I went through the steps with, he gave me a tool. He gave me a tool to go through the steps. Because like I said, I resisted the steps. And at one time, Don, he turned to me and he said, Carl, you really need to be careful not to argue for your limitations. And I have used that in and out of the program of Alcoholics Anonymous. I used it once, and it was one of the greatest events in my life. What happened was, my daughter, when she was seven years old, and I was newly sober, and uh, she'd been on some soccer teams, and they called me, and they said, would you be a soccer coach? And I used the 
anti-Nancy Reagan. I just didn't say no. And you know what? That was one of the most phenomenal experiences in my life. You know, uh, uh, and I am, I am humbled. I am humbled by the people in Alcoholics Anonymous. We have a home group member in uh, in St. Louis, and and uh, little lady, and and uh, and she lost her son, you know, to this illness. And uh, watching her, she, she's a giant. She's a giant. Watching her go through that, I've watched people go through cancer in my home group, you know. And then I, who am I with my problems? Who am I? I watched a fella, a fella who, uh, who was the head of the Iron Workers Union. He was a, he was a, a business agent. His son fell to his death, so he took that tragedy. And he opened a restaurant for her, for his wife, you know, so she could make a living for herself. That's Alcoholics Anonymous. The resiliency that this program gives us is phenomenal, is phenomenal. And I, I, uh, I guess one of the last things I'd like to say is, is uh, I talked about a little bit this morning. My father died kind of tragically. And it was a prolonged death. Essentially, he had a heart attack, and they gave him a drug called streptokinase, and they don't give it to people anymore because one out of 10,000, it gives him a heart attack. It gives him a stroke. And they gave him that drug. He drew the short straw, and it gave him a massive stroke, and they called me when I was in uh, Hawaii. And uh, so I went, and uh, he had a, a, a year later, him and the captain of my ship had pinned the, the senior chief devices on my collar tags. And when I walked into the room, his head was all thrown back because he was going through this stroke. And he, 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 but he spoke in this voice and said, there's the senior chief that he'd helped pin the, the collar devices on. There's the senior chief. So, you know, this program gave me that. And then... He, uh, they operated on him, and they, they took out, they took out a lot of his brain, and he lost the uh, last 20 years of his life, and so I couldn't feel sorry for myself. See, because I have a half brother who was 16 when this happened, and he never spoke his game name again as long as he lived, which is two years, and so I had to be there for Chris, and this program gave me that. This program gave me that, you know, and I got to, and when he died, I got to fold that American flag in my uniform and hand it to his mother and say, thank you for your son's service. Thank you for your son's service. So... My sponsor says, you know, we just, so many of us, there, there's no path. There's no path from where we came to, to, to where we are now. There, there's no, there, how do you do that? Well, I saw a sign, this is not approved literature, in a Jimmy John's restaurant. 
and it says there's an infinite void. It says something like there's an infinite void between more than enough. Well, it's not infinite. There is a spiritual bridge through these 12 steps, you know, that can, that can make us and make life worth living and incredible. Thank you for being here. I love you.